Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Surround yourself with positive people that are thinking big and doing big things. You'll come to realize that risk is a muscle. The more you work that muscle, the stronger it gets. And you'll be amazed what you're willing to take on in a short period of time without feeling anything. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I am joined by Clint Harris. Clint is joining us from Wilmington, North Carolina. He is in charge of investor relations and capital raising for Nomad Capital. If that sounds familiar, I interviewed Eric Hemingway for the Best Ever Podcast, episode 2715, the founder of Nomad Capital. Nomad buys Kmart's grocery stores, warehouses, and other similar properties to convert them to climate-controlled self-storage. Clint's real estate portfolio consists of being a general partner with Nomad and over $100 million of self-storage. He also has 14 Airbnb properties and a short-term rental property management company with 82 listings at the time of the recording. Clint, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Sure, Slocum. First of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invite. Happy to be here. My career was in medical sales. I had a 16-year career selling and implanting pacemakers and defibrillators and working in cardiology, which is kind of a young man's game. So I started investing in real estate fairly early, single-family homes, and progressed on from there just with the understanding that if that's not a job I wanted to do forever, I wanted to do it then, and I loved it. But someday I may not want to, and the day you start getting ready for that is not the day that it happens. It's a long time ahead of time, right? So We invested in single-family homes. Eventually, in 2017, my wife and I took a promotion to Wilmington, North Carolina, which allowed us the opportunity to start getting into vacation rentals. So we started buying small multifamily properties that were in rough shape, converting them to top-performing Airbnb properties. I wanted it to be passive. It certainly was not. So because of that, we ended up building a property management company along with partners to make that more of a passive part of our portfolio. And then for diversification, we started investing out into self-storage from there and continue to scale with Nomad. Clint, that's not the most natural, nor is it likely the most seamless of transitions. 
to go from short-term rentals to self-storage conversions. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that happened? You make a strong point, Slocum. So the way that that happened was out of necessity. So all of my investments in the short-term rental space, and I would go on to say that I think that Airbnb short-term rental, especially with multifamily and multiple units, is probably one of the most active investment strategies that you can have. Instead of one tenant, you've got 8, 10, 12 tenants per unit in a month. They're paying a lot of money. They have high expectations. you got cleaning fees and maintenance and everything else. There's a lot of moving parts there, the linens. So we had a portfolio that was cash flowing really well, but was wildly active in terms of an investment strategy. And on top of that, at one point in time, we got hit with four hurricanes in three years. Now, all of my investments are literally on one island right off of Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was willing to do that because I was making really, really good cash flow. It was high risk and high reward with the understanding that I'm willing to take on that risk for a few years, but I have to get to the point quickly where that cash flow can pivot for diversification purposes. And what I mean by that is diversification across asset class, geography, operator, and eventually through syndication, I found the ability to diversify across time frame as well, which was really unique. But basically, it was the complete opposite of what I was doing. I went from the most active strategy you could possibly have to what potentially can be through syndication, the most passive strategy you can possibly have combined with self-storage is very recession-resistant, inflation-resistant, pandemic-resistant. And by definition, these facilities are spread out across the southeast with different buildings that have been there for decades, as opposed to all lumped onto one island with a property management business that could get all wiped out at one point in time with one storm. So it was really with an eye to diversification, taking those quick high cash flow rewards that I got from that portfolio and pivoting to something that's going to create at the time, originally, I was looking for financial freedom. And that by itself, in retrospect, is pretty shallow. What I should have been going after and what I've focused on now is financial time and location independence because those things together create independence of purpose. Basically, I built a portfolio the right way at the time, which was the wrong way for the life goals that I had. And then I had to unpack that and move it in a different direction. Do you still have those short-term rentals now then? I sure do. They're all within a few miles of where I'm sitting right now. It's a duplex and three quadplexes. The first one started out as a house hack. We lived in the upstairs, three bed, two bath, two blocks off the beach, rented out the downstairs and it paid for that facility or that property and made about 1400 bucks a month on top of that. Since then, we built a new house. We just had our second child. I got a three-year-old and a three-month-old. So we built a new house, moved into a new house, rented out that unit. That property pays for itself and the new house. And then we also have three other quadplexes. I still would potentially pick up the right property, but my main focus at this point is the investments that we have through Nomad and buying old big box retail, Kmarts and things like that and converting them. I will tell you this, the lesson that I really learned is that within the short-term rental space and the competitiveness of the market, it's, you can't have four single family homes and four mortgages and four sets of taxes and four sets of utilities and do really well. But if you have a quadplex, and it's one mortgage, one set of taxes, one set of utilities. You get that unit density ratio offset and you get four rental units with one mortgage. That lesson was not lost on me. And on top of that, I was buying properties that had really bad, poor quality, long-term tenants in place. So I was buying it as a long-term rental, getting rid of the month-to-month -month tenants, renovating and converting it to a completely different asset class. 
So that asset class change wildly changed the value of the property combined with the unit density of having four different rental units. The first unit pays for the mortgage taxes insurance, the second, third, fourth. That's really where your profit margin is. The lesson I learned there is the exact same lesson. That's why it clicked with me with buying a Kmart and converting it to 600 climate-controlled self-storage units. You're changing the asset class. You change the formula by which the asset is valued, and then you have multiple tenants, and it wildly swings the value and creates a level of stability that you'll never get with a single property. When you put it that way, scaling into larger self-storage facilities makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? It really does because at the end of the day, the only thing that changes is that there's a few more zeros on the price tag. I would buy properties that traditionally people thought were overpriced, and I just knew that they were underperforming. They might be overpriced based upon having four tenants in there that haven't had a rent increase in years and they're chain smoking in the property. But I knew that if you get rid of the tenants and you renovate it and you convert it to a short-term rental, it's going to 3.5 to 4X those gross monthly rents. And all of a sudden, based upon a net operating income approach, it's worth wildly more by changing the asset class through that forced appreciation. And that is why I got into self-storage because it's the same lesson. And when I was trying to diversify away from a high cash flow but high risk environment, I was identifying the intelligent older investors that I really look up to. And they start to value their time more and more and they want to get more passive. And they were all doing three things. It was note lending and hard money lending to flippers, or it was mobile home parks, or it was self-storage. I didn't have any money to be lending to anybody, and I didn't have any interest in mobile home parks. And that left storage. But within storage, when I found my partners, what they were doing was what I had already been doing with Airbnb properties, and it just clicked for me. I didn't come up with the concept. They came up with the concept. I'm not even that good of an investor. I had figured it out on a few small multifamily properties. But the lesson and the underlying core value, the asset reclassification and changing the formula by which the asset is valued, that lesson is the same. That's the premise upon which Nomad Capital and our self-storage conversion is built. Clint, treating this conversation more like it's peer-to-peer and less like it's an interview for a real estate investing podcast, though I do suspect there's a lot of value to our listeners. I feel like I've been having a very similar conversation with a few people in my life recently when it comes to how to build wealth the fastest. The advice that I've been giving and the advice that I've been trying to live out and one of the things that I'm reading into the stories of people who built wealth quickly is that they found an industry or an asset class in real estate where they could add a lot of value, they could force appreciation so that they could buy something that was either underperforming or that needed, in your example, a change of asset class in order to be performing optimally for what it was, investment real estate. And then having the ability, first with the foresight to be able to see the change that could happen and then the operational capacity to make it happen, that that's where real wealth can be built the fastest. Real appreciation can be forced the fastest. The cash flow, yes, but like you said, those four families, two blocks on the beach, were abundantly more valuable when they had a new means of valuation based on their NOI. Is this resonating with you? Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's just have a conversation here. At the end of the day, let's get down to brass tacks of what we're talking about. I think the conversation that you're having and the conversation that I'm having is fairly similar. 
I'll break it down to the core value of where we're at. So Sam Zell just passed away recently, a couple months ago. And one of his big things was buying below replacement cost. It's easy to say, right? But how do you do that? This guy, he's a billionaire. He's an amazing philanthropist. He's an amazing family man. He's done some incredible things. But at the end of the day, like, oh, he was in the right place, right time. Well, what he's talking about is buying below replacement cost is where it all starts for him. So if someone asks me what's different with Nomad Capital or the syndication that we have, and take Nomad out of it, just the underlying core belief that I have as a real estate investor, it's we're buying it below replacement cost with an asset class conversion, forced appreciation through swinging a hammer and renovation and forced appreciation through operation. So the way it resonated with me, I was a limited partner with Nomad. We bought a Kmart in Reedsville, North Carolina for $1.5 million. It's an 87,000 square foot Kmart. Now you and I know that Amazon has destroyed that space. Big box retail is dead. At one point in time, there was 2,400 Kmarts in the country. There's none left. But we've all seen these grocery stores, Kmarts in the middle of these little downtowns across the Southeast that are across the whole country that are gone. We bought a Kmart for 1.5 million. The replacement cost was 6.5 million. If you're a house flipper and you're selling houses, you don't make your money when you fix a house up and you don't make your money when you sell it for a high price. You made your money when you bought it correctly. When that guy, that real estate investor walks into a house and he smells cat pee, he smells money. So what we're looking for is these big box retail in high residential dense visible areas that we can buy for a fraction of the replacement cost. We bought the building for 1.5, we put 2.5 into it, we're into it for four, stabilized value is nine million. Because at that point in time, that asset, and I don't care what type of investment strategy you have or wherever you are in real estate, if you're converting it from one thing to another, at that point in time, that building is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. So if you and I decided that we're gonna go build a self-storage facility right now, it's going to cost us $125 to $140 a square foot for the construction. Climate-controlled Class A facility, obviously market-dependent across the country. You and I are going to spend $125 to $140 a square foot, not including the land. Across our last five conversion projects, we are around $63 a square foot all in. Because that building is whatever somebody is going to pay for it, and that's what it's worth. So we buy these big box retail. Think about it. For 30 years... People would drive to that location to buy their stuff. And now it's the same reason it's a great location for those same people to drive back and pay us to put the same stuff back in the same building. It's getting it below the replacement cost and then controlling the cost of converting it to a different asset class that has a higher demand in our current market. Exactly what you said, that's the fastest way to grow wealth in a large enough scale that not only do you have room to bring investors along with you, but you can grow wealth in a way that creates generational wealth. And it's going to change the amount of time that you get to spend with your kids and your grandkids. Clint, that's immensely valuable. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. 
But that's not all. SyndicationAttorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit SyndicationAttorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. I do want to nitpick one thing you said because it's the direction I want the conversation to go in specific to conversion between asset classes it feels to me more like there are two points at which you make your money the first is when you buy and the second is when you can demonstrate that you've successfully executed on the conversion because what you bought was an old empty kmart not a self-storage facility and what you paid for it is what it was worth at the time the same thing can be said about those short-term rental buildings in Wilmington near the beach that you bought, that you paid what they were worth at the time. Using your words from earlier, you might have overpaid a little bit, but it's because of the value that you saw in the conversion that I would say was made when you demonstrated that you had successfully executed the conversion. On that note, Clint, and recognizing that you're primarily working in investor relations and that the majority of the best ever listeners are passive investors, because they simply naturally outnumber active investors in commercial real estate investing. Thinking about our passive as well as active investor listener base, Clint, what is your advice for recognizing conversion opportunities in commercial real estate? That's a great question. So first of all, I want to circle back on what you said about operating. You're exactly right. Same thing. The lesson I learned with the Airbnbs, a short-term rental is only as good as the person operating it. And you're exactly correct. The same thing is true with self-storage. So I glossed over the fact that I've got partners that are fantastic operators, and I don't want that to get lost on anybody because this is not an easy strategy. I think the biggest thing with conversion is looking at what are you converting to? If you're taking an old mill and you're going to convert it to 200 multifamily units, that's 200 kitchens, it's 200 bathrooms, it's living space. Right? So within that conversion of your gross potential income, typically 70% is going to be your expense ratio. You're paying for staff at the front desk, maintenance, landscaping, everything else. I think one of the keys is in the conversion, converting to something that has a lower cost of operation. So within self-storage, a lot of times it's the opposite. It's 30% of the gross potential income is expenses because one person can manage a five or 600 unit facility. And then the other 70 is your net operating income. So I think that looking at what's the cost of operations of the conversion, conversion by itself is not the magic bullet, but we all see the world changing right now. The world is changing. The consumers are changing. The way things are being used are changing. And I think that every time you see a Delta, 
in what's happening within society, it creates a value opportunity. And that value opportunity, the consumer society that we used to have with big box retail 20, 30, 40 years ago, it's honestly gone. And even though people now aren't buying houses the same way they used to, they're typically renting and they don't have as much stuff. Amazingly, they're using more storage. Millennials now make up 34% of the population and they're 38% of storage because instead of renting a two or three bedroom house, they'd rather rent someplace smaller, but they still have to have a place to store their winter clothes or their mountain bike or their surfboard or whatever it may be. So the consumer's changing. And as the consumer changes, the demand drivers change. And that has to be a part of whatever your conversion strategy is. Summarizing what you just said based on my question of how to recognize conversion opportunities, there's an opportunity in recognizing changes in consumer behavior. The way you're talking about how important the millennial generation is when it comes to consumer behavior, as we see those shifts, as we go through things like pandemics, we can recognize that highly valued locations like Kmart's where people went for 30 years to buy their stuff now make a lot more sense and a lot more profitability as something else. What other advice do you have for recognizing the right conversion opportunity? I think the best thing to do, instead of looking for an opportunity, I think you should look for the operator. You alluded to this earlier that the opportunity is only as good as the one running it, right? So this takes a combination of creativity and frankly, a high level of vertical integration. So the reason our projects work when a lot of them don't is because we find the buildings ourselves, we raise the capital ourselves, and then we do the underwriting. Of course, we get third-party feasibility studies to verify, but we're building it out ourselves. My partners are general contractors who, frankly, aren't scared of anything that I've seen so far. We're looking for those houses that smell like cat pee. We're looking for those nasty, beat-up buildings that we can get for really cheap, and then we are not afraid to find them ourselves, underwrite them ourselves, raise the capital, build them out, and operate them ourselves. If you pay retail for the building off the MLS, whatever your conversion strategy is, if you pay retail for the building, if you're paying retail for the construction, if you're paying retail for the management, you're going to get squeezed, especially in a higher interest rate environment like we are now. So I would say instead of looking and identifying conversion opportunities, identify operators that are doing this at a high level, that are creative, that are skilled, and that are vertically integrated, because that operator can change. We're doing self-storage right now, but maybe it's airplane hangers or something like that in the future. I'm just making an example. The people that are really good at this type of strategy can read the market and make a shift and adapt accordingly. And I think this is one of those times where you bet on the jockey and not the horse. If you bet on the operator in this situation, I think you're going to have more success than specifically trying to identify the right conversion opportunity for you as a limited partner or a passive investor. That, of course, makes sense, Clint, and thank you. What about for our active investor listeners? I think it's going to come down to skill set. For the people that are good at this, I was an active investor for a long time. And in the right situation, I still will be, although I love what we're doing passively significantly more. And that's where my future trajectory lies. I'm still an active investor and have them. You've got to take a self inventory and be really honest. What am I good at? What's my strategy? And then my situation, I built up 14 short-term rental units by doing what I was good at. But then the problem is where I landed was wildly active and busy. And at the end of the day, I created a job for myself and I couldn't find a property management company that could manage those assets 
in a way that would allow me to walk away and go spend two months a year in Costa Rica or wherever else. I had to build a whole separate business with partners over a two year period just to get to that point where I could hand that off. And now people would say, oh, that's passive income. Now it's not. It might be residual income, but we front loaded the work on that. So first of all, if you're doing that as an active investor, look at your skill set and what you're capable of. And then don't think about the next project or the one after that. Think about where you're going to land when you built that portfolio. And is that where you want to be? Is that the life that you want? Or are you going to end up trading time for money? Because the next thing you know, you don't want to get 14 units down that pathway and then find out that that's the opposite of what you want. Because then your options are you've either got to liquidate and hard pivot, or you've got to spend another two years building a company around it that can take care of that while you go do something else. It's all about your skill set and what you're capable of, but just make sure you know where it's leading. Excellent advice. Clint, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's go for it. What is the best ever book you recently read? This is a great question. So the best book that I have recently read is Traction. We're growing very quickly. We have a lot of things that we're working on. I would say Traction, and I still find myself falling back to a lot of the lessons that came from Who Not How with Dan Sullivan. That's something that helped me build our business as a property management company. And it's amazing how many of those lessons have stuck with me through a new transition period. But the recent book that we read as a team was Traction, and it did some great things for the way that we communicate and the goals that we have moving forward. What is your best ever way to give back? Like I said, I've got a three-year-old and a three-month-old, so I'm not doing much right now. I have ambitions of being able to get out and hopefully do some more trips and give them exposure to the rest of the world and being able to do things more on a missionary basis once they're a little bit older. On a local level, I'm a student of the game. I love being a real estate investor. I like to focus on education. I do capital raising and investor relations, but the way I look at it is my number one job is to educate. I don't ever want to sell our deals or what we're doing to anybody. I like to explain and educate because I always learn something in the meantime. Along with that, I'm a co-host of a podcast. And then along with that, we have a commercial real estate meetup, all in the vein of just trying to get people together in the same room because good things always happen. For this next one, I'll let you decide whether you go a short-term rental or self-storage. Clint, on properties that you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I'm actually going to go take it back before either of those asset classes. The biggest mistake that I made was the first nine single-family properties that my wife and I bought, girlfriend at the time, as we were just getting into real estate investing. And I made the mistake of I had the inability to scale and to think past the property at hand. I was always focused on, okay, I found this property. I'm going to do the acquisition on this. And I was focused on that. And I wasn't focused on the property after that. And sometimes early on, whether it's debt service coverage ratio or whatever it is, you can paint yourself into a corner by focusing on the acquisition right in front of you and not focusing on the one after that. And that inability to think big and to think about scale really stopped us. And it took me, again, I had to unbuild that portfolio to make a pivot into multifamily or whatever has multiple units with a single set of fixed overhead gives you more grace there. But that was the mistake that I made at first was the inability to think past the deal at hand. On that note, Clint, what is your best ever advice? My best ever advice is to think big and surround yourself with people that think big. The sooner you realize that risk is a muscle, the better off you'll be. And it's a muscle that you work. And I'm not talking about risk for the sake of risk. There's risk and then there's calculated risk. But within calculated risk, 
you run the numbers and you learn the lessons and you surround yourself with positive people that are thinking big and doing big things, you'll come to realize that risk is a muscle. The more you work that muscle, the stronger it gets. And you'll be amazed what you're willing to take on in a short period of time without feeling any pain. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? The best place to get in touch with me is a co-host of a podcast called the Truly Passive Income Podcast. You can go to trulypassiveincome.com. On top of that, I'm at clint at nomadcapital.us or on our website, nomadcapital.us. Like I said, I'm a student of the game. I'm always happy to connect with anybody and talk about anything real estate or commercial real estate related because I always learn something from everybody, no matter what they have to say or ask. And those links are in the show notes. Clint, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.